We are, uh, last week I started a little two-week series entitled Drop the Stone. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but we live in critical times. And, uh, and it's critical in the sense that not, not just that it's, it's critical like these are important times that we live in, but these are also potentially very aggravating times that we live in. And if we're not careful, if we don't guard our own heart, we can kind of get warped in our spirit. And so last week, in the first part of this, when I talked about drop the stone, I talked about um, the, the, the idea of guarding our heart against becoming a critical person. And I think if we're all honest, that can happen to us. We have a tendency to do, I forgot to bring up my stone, but we have a tendency to pick a side and then to pick up a rock. And we have it firmly grasped in our hand and, um, you know, we, we're ready to kind of like make our point, so to, sp- so to speak, if you will. And so last week we talked about guarding against becoming critical. Today I want to talk about how to handle being criticized when someone curses you, when someone's contending against you, when someone's coming against you. And me, how do we handle that? That's what I want to talk about today. And in order to do that, I have a, a story in the Old Testament that I want to read. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 16. And before I start reading that, let me just kind of set the story up for you. The Bible tells us that David had a heart after God. He was a godly man. He, was, um, he, he wanted all that God had for him. But if you read the story of David, you find out that he wasn't a perfect man. He was far from it. Can I get a witness out there? And um, there were some choices he made in his life that set him up for some painful experiences later on. Not the least of which was in the area of his fatherhood, where he pretty much neglected issues in his own home that brought about anger and a root of bitterness in some of his own children. And Absalom was one of those. Absalom was David's son who treasoned or committed treason against David and conspired with some of David's closest uh, advisors to overthrow the kingdom. And so at this point, when we pick up reading in this passage, you have to understand this is David after many years of being a king a man after God's own heart, imperfect as he was, his own son had conspired to overthrow his throne. And rather than stay in Jerusalem and fight his own flesh and blood, he decided that he was going to leave. And this is where this story picks up. So I want to read this to you. You can follow along as I read it out loud to you. And uh, this is kind of what's going on in David's life. It says, Now when King David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the, uh, from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. And he came out cursing continuously as he came. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of the king. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. 
So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me please go over and take off his head. How many of you like a friend like that? He said, Let me go over and chop off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zerai? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my own son, who has come from my own body, seeks my life. How much more this Benjamite. Let him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord, for so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay him or repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite and cursed as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up dust. Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. What I want you to notice about this story is that Shimei was throwing stones with his critical words. David had a response, or David had a choice to make. Do I repay evil for evil, or do I handle this in a God-honoring way? Abishai represents that side of us who wants to take their head off. Get them back for what they're doing. But David shows us that there's a more God-honoring way to handle it. And so whenever you feel like you want to pick up the stone of retaliation, you got to drop it. Amen. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. And I pray today, Lord, that you would speak clearly to us with whatever we may be going through, whatever relationship may be on kind of a, a pause right now, a brokenness. Maybe we're facing something in our home or at work or in our neighborhood or maybe with somebody in this room. I pray today, God, that you would give us wisdom on how to handle this your way. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody says amen. 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 Turn to somebody and say, I think he's going to be talking to you. Go ahead and tell him that. Well, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 17... That being offended in life is completely and totally unavoidable. No one goes through life unscathed by hurtful words, gossip, slander, fault-finding judgment. He said it's impossible. You're going to experience offense in your life. It's completely and totally unavoidable for everyone on planet Earth. 
It's going to happen. And not only is it unavoidable, but it can hurt really bad. I mean, it can be a very painful experience. I know that words may not break our bones, but they can really hurt our heart. Sharp words cut deep and leave sometimes very deep wounds. So criticism or being criticized is unavoidable. And it's hurtful. But it's manageable. We can handle it. We can take it. We can manage criticism and complaint and judgment and prejudice or whatever, however it manifests in our life. It is manageable. We can learn to manage criticism by God's grace and for our own good. And it's possible, I, I just, you know, it is possible to be destroyed by praise but saved by criticism. Like, people can praise you, and you receive that praise of people, and it can hurt you in the long run, depending on how you receive it, but also how you receive criticism can actually set you up for greater success down the road. You can be destroyed by praise and saved by criticism. And so... It's really dependent on what we do with it. All criticism is either destructive or it can be constructive depending on how you take it, what you and I do with it in our lives. And so depending on our reaction, it can either bring us down or it could set us up for greater success. Like the old saying goes, when people throw stones in your path, turn them into stepping stones. Right? You could either build a bridge with it or you could build a wall of indifference with it. And so we all face these critical words in our lives and so, or criticism and judgment. So I want to talk about this idea of dropping the stone of critical retaliation, handling criticism when it comes our way. And I want to kind of unpack this story of David in doing so because I think there are some subtle little principles in this story that really are important for us on how to deal with it when it comes our way. Because it's coming your way, it's been your way, it's coming back around again someday. Amen. And we want to be ready to handle it instead of constantly picking up our thrones. Well, if you're going to do that, I'm going to do this. Right? So we got to be able to put it down, drop the stone, and deal with it God's way. Amen. So, the first thing I think we can learn from David, or this story of David, when you are criticized, here's how to handle criticism. The very first thing, when you hear a critical word, when you hear a word of slander, when something is said that maybe isn't true, or maybe there's such a minute nugget of truth, but it's over overcrowded and, and, and clouded out by all of the lie in it, whenever things happen like that, number one, we need to remember who we are. We need to remember that. Now remember, Shimei was throwing stones and cursing David and calling him all kinds of names. And then Abishai, David's mighty man, one of the close confidants of David, said to him, who is this dead dog that he should curse? Watch, my Lord, the king. You're the king. 
You're the man in charge. You are God's anointed for this position, and he's cursing you. And I know Abishai was full of rage when he was saying that. He wanted to take that guy's head off, but what he said was really true. David was the king. He was God's man. He was God's choice. And so David knew that he was God's man. David knew that he was God's choice. And he wasn't really cowering from the cursing. He was trying to stay in the mentality and in the disposition of who he really was. He was God's man. He was God's choice. And when criticism comes your way, there's, we, every one of us have a choice on how to handle it. We are either going to believe what it says and then take it and let it beat us up, or we're going to receive from what it says because there's nuggets of truth in there. We're going to receive from it, but we're going to maintain who we are. We're not going to let it destroy our spirit. Because criticism has a way of getting into your mind and eating away at your confidence. This is not about being arrogant. It's about being confident. Just because they're saying this doesn't make it so. I'm still God's man. I'm still God's woman. I'm still the chosen of the Lord. Just because they're saying this, I don't have to take it in and let it wilt my spirit or destroy my life. Know who you are. Stand in who you are in Jesus Christ. Even if there's nuggets of truth in what they're saying, don't let it beat you down. But let it, rather, build you up. Amen. Are you with me out there? It's not about, as I said, being arrogant. It's about being confident. David was God's choice, and so are you. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you and anointed you. And then he turns around after saying that to all of his disciples, and in the very next chapter, he says, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. They slandered me, they're going to slander you. They criticized me, they're going to criticize you. But don't forget, I chose you. Don't receive the criticism and the contention and the persecution and, and let it beat you down, but rather, rather know who you are in me. Amen. This is really important. We may not be perfect, but we're still God's people. I wasn't a perfect dad, but I'm still God's man. I'm not a perfect pastor, as you know well but I'm still the one in charge. No. <laughs> Here's how I used to handle criticism. I would either retort back, ready to defend my position. I'd grab my stone. I mean, if you're going to risk throwing your stone, you better get ready. Or I would die on the inside. They're right. I'm no good at this. I told God I was no good at this. Why am I here? Why do, why do I have this responsibility? And we would beat, then I would beat myself up. 
And sometimes as a parent, when your children begin to criticize you for your parenting, and they do, you're right. I'm a pitiful excuse for a mom or a dad. And we beat ourselves up. No, you're God's man. You're God's woman. You're not perfect, but you've been chosen. You've got to know who you are. Now, here's what Shimei, you remember the expression, you maybe heard this, people say this, eat the meat, spit out the bones. That's what you got to do with criticism. Because there's a little bit of truth in most criticism. But by and large, most criticism isn't true. You got to eat the meat, spit out the bones. Here's what Shimei said of David. You're a bloodthirsty rogue. All you want is to shed blood. Now David was a king of bloodshed. But David was not bloodthirsty. He was called of God to be the king that he was at the time that he was, and he was merely doing what God told him to do, purge the land. He wasn't bloodthirsty. In fact, David said in Psalms 120, verse 7, all I want is peace, but whenever they speak, they want war. I don't want war. They want war. But Shimei, you're a bloodthirsty man. And then he said, you're the reason that Saul was destroyed. No, Saul destroyed himself. David didn't do it. God, God's the one who said, I'm through with him. He's done. David didn't say that. In fact, in graciousness, he ran for years to avoid confrontation with Saul. And when Saul killed himself, David didn't kill him. Basically, had someone kill him, right? Yeah. I got to look at Mark every once in a while. Just After he did that, he reached out to Saul's house to show them grace. You see what I'm saying there? People will say things that are not true. What you and I have to do in those moments is we have to kind of weed through all the junk that's being said and really just lay it down. He says, you're reigning in Saul's place. God put him in Saul's place. The Lord has delivered your kingdom to your son Absalom. No, Absalom's trying to take over the kingdom. God didn't give it to him. He's trying to steal it. You've been caught in your own evil ways. Now, David may be experiencing the consequences of his actions, but it's for none of the reason that Shimei says they are. He's experiencing the outflow of some of his parenting, the consequences of that. But none of the reasons that Shimei is criticizing him is David in that position for. And all I'm saying in all of that is to handle criticism. The first thing you got to do, don't forget who you are. Just because they said it doesn't make it true. Amen. You got to weed through the rough. Amen. Number two, 
Consider the source. Consider the source. When Abishai said, let me take this guy's head off. Let me chop his head off. David said, my own son is after me. My own son wants to kill me. My own son wants to take my kingdom. Why do I worry about this Benjamite? I got bigger fish to fry. I got bigger problems going on in my life. I'm not worried about what this guy is saying. He's just this guy that lives over here. He, I don't, yeah, he's loud. Yeah, he's getting all the attention. Yeah, it makes me look bad. But he's really nobody to me. I got bigger problems. And when you get criticized, when somebody comes against you with slander, in your, you, you got to really consider the source of who you're dealing with here. There's a scripture that says in Proverbs 27, verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now we need to evaluate what I'm dealing with. When, when I hear critical words or constructive criticism, I always, always brace myself when someone says, well, let me constructively criticize. That's just a nice, nice way of saying, I'm going to beat you down. That's how, that's how my brain immediately digests that. But there is a scripture that says, faithful are the wounds. Because sometimes a word comes, and man, oh, it hurts. It hurts. And we want people to tell us the truth. But I don't want to like it, or I don't like it always. But we sometimes need that, right? And so we have to ask ourselves, this criticism that I'm getting right now, is this friend or foe? And we need to run all criticism in our life through different filters. Your relationship with the person determines the response you take. When my wife criticizes me, she doesn't criticize in the bad way. But if I hear a word from my wife that deals with an issue in my heart, I pay closer attention to that than I do about the neighbor down around the corner. Or a note I get in the mail with no name on it. That's happened a couple times. So... Yeah, it's, it's terrible being me. You should, no, I'm joking. But my wife carries way more weight in my life. If there's something of correction or if there's something dealing with my heart, I, pay, I, I need to honor that. That's my filter. That I filter her words differently than I filter other people's words. Like, for instance, we, if we have a friend in our life that's coming to us as a friend and they're talking with us about hard things, hard issues, we need to filter that. We need to filter them as a friend. They're not a foe. It may hurt. It may be getting my attention. It may be causing me to pick up my rock 
I'm sitting here listening, but I'm not liking it. But we need that. Or a boss. Some of us need to listen to our boss and filter what's coming our way in a way that we honor those who are over us. Or a leader. Is this a friend or a foe? I heard someone say one time, the closer they are, the louder their voice should be. The closer this person is to you, the more we should pay attention to what they're saying. We need to ask some questions about the source of criticism. Is this someone who really knows me? When someone criticizes you, judges you, slanders you, we have to ask the question, is this someone who really knows me? Or are they just being loud? Are they just not like, are they just hating? Are they just trying to roast me? Or do they know me? Amen. Are they, do they genuinely care about me as a person? Or do they not like me as a leader? Amen. We need to ask the question, are they misinformed? You know, some people think they know what's going on, but they're ignorant to what's really going on. But from their vantage point, they think they know. So they're trying to tell you what you should do. And they don't know. They're misinformed. They're ignorant. Amen. Is this, a, is this person an unidentifiable person? I shared just a moment ago about having received a couple notes in my life with no name. And at first, you know, I, I you know, was like, oh, man, who is this trying to figure it out? I can imagine this is, you know what you do with things that nobody has the courage to put a name on? You just put it in the garbage. Now, it's different. If there's a name attached and there's a willingness to say, okay, maybe we need to, maybe there's something here we need to work with. You know, someone who's genuine, but you, you know, you just, if they don't put their name down, is this my inner circle? Is this someone in my inner circle? Years ago when our church was going through a major crisis, having a great deal to do with me and my own choices, I was being restored but there was people on all sides of the fence, and it was a confusing time, and it was hard to know. Is this right? Is this the right way to go? And generally speaking, we had the sense that this was the right way to go, but there was, you know, there was a few people that didn't feel that way about me being restored in ministry here. And uh, I got a letter in the mail with a name on it. And uh, this letter was, whew, man, it was rough. It was a rough letter to read. It was rough to go through it. And as I was reading through it, and I saw the name, and this person was not really in the inner circle, so to speak, but, you know, a prominent person. And I remember reading that letter and just being like, whoa, this is, this is really hard. And then, as someone who spent enough time in the Bible, I was like, oh, well, that's wrong biblically. Well, that's theologically way off. And I was, crossing, I was going line for line, precept upon precept. And uh, I was like, I'm keeping this letter. 
I'm going to either respond to this person or I'm ready for the next time I see them. And I put it by my bedside because I was preparing myself for the moment when I was going to have to deal with this, with this person. And um, I held on to that for probably about a month. Just sat there on my bedside. A couple of times I picked it up and read through it just to make sure that I was still right. <laughs> and then uh, one day I went up there and I looked at it and the Lord said, throw it away. Get rid of it. In a, in a way, it was almost like, consider the source. This isn't an insignificant person at all. To this day, they're not insignificant. But that didn't matter. Because God, by his grace, gave me the direction of who I was responsible to, who I was submitted to, and the direction God wanted us to go. And by his grace, by his grace, and his goodness, we are here today in the goodness of God. Not me, and certainly if I would have picked up that rock, Lord knows what I could have done to myself in the process. Amen. And so consider the source. Here's another way that we can handle criticism. Look for the lessons to learn in it. I know you don't like this part. I hate this part. But in all criticism, look for the lessons. Now, this is really hard. I'm not going to lie. When I was reading this story, I went back over it. I opened up commentaries. I was like, are you kidding me? He said that. He said these words. He's like, the Lord told him to do it. David says, no, don't take his head off. God put him up to it. Did you guys read that in the scriptures like I did? Now, everything on the inside of me wants me to try to change that somehow. But he said, the Lord put him up to this. He said, the word is ordered. The Lord ordered him to do it, if you remember. So... There are things, there are, there are hard sayings in God's word that I think we, 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 we don't want to gloss over them. We don't want to just like, oh, well, it doesn't mean that. I don't, what does it mean? Well, I don't know, but it doesn't mean that. You know what I mean? Come on. Do I have any other takers in the room here? It says the Lord ordered it. Now, Here's the way I understand it. Even hurtful and critical words of others can serve as an ultimate good and blessing in my life, depending on how I handle it. If God, if God put him up to it, God is a giver of good gifts, and he works all things together for good to them that love him. God is up to something good, even if there's something not so good. Are you okay? 
I'm not sure I'm okay, but I want to know if you're okay. So when criticism comes your way, when you experience this, this may be an indicator of some things going on in your life, some lessons God's wanting you and I to learn. Are you with me? Like maybe there's a problem that needs to be solved. When somebody criticizes you, they're probably expressing problems that you and I are kind of overlooking. We all have blind spots. And so when these criticisms come up, these judgments, these slanders, whatever is happening, this may be an indicator that there's undercurrent issues going on in your life and around your relationships that you're blind to. We all have blind spots. We all have areas and things that we're not noticing and seeing, but when criticism happens... It's an indicator that there's something going on that you don't see, and it's a problem. And you need to be aware of it. And you need to deal with it. It also is not only an indicator that there's a problem to solve, but it's also an indicator sometimes that there's a change that needs to happen. Can I say that sometimes it takes difficult times to bring about needed change in our life. We get stuck in a place and we will stay there no matter how miserable we are, no matter how miserable our life is, maybe even our marriage is, we will stay there until difficulty comes. And sometimes critical words are an indication that something needs to change. Can I say it this way? Criticism can serve as a great gift of redirection in your life. (laughs) Amen. Criticism, critical words can serve as a gift of redirection in your life. Let me just say it this way. David was on a slow, long slide into dysfunction into his life. By the time Absalom rises up to overthrow his kingdom, let me tell you, this was a wake-up call for David. Things have been a mess in my life and the way I've been parenting my home and the way I've been leading this nation all along, and this was a major wake-up call. Things have got to change in your life, David. Sometimes it's things like this that help us to redirect and get back on course. And it's hard. It's difficult. Amen. It's also an indicator that maybe there's a relationship to repair. You know, there, there, are, just, there are some people that are just mean. Nobody in this room. But... Have you ever run into a mean person? They just seem to be mean. But then there are people, they're just mad. There are mean people, mean-spirited people. But then there are people that are mad. And you know, it's the mad people that are basically, in your life, they're, they're maybe criticizing because they're upset about something. Something you did or you didn't do. I read this quote somewhere. It says, criticism is generally advanced warning to coming conflict. 
So that when you hear something, what's going on is that somebody is venting what they're feeling. And you gotta be you gotta you gotta see. This is this is advanced warning that more's coming when you hear stuff. And so if you're hearing it, this means that somebody's not happy. And it usually is a relationship in our life that we need to work on this relationship. I've been in conversation with people or in a room with people that are saying things, and I hear a very subtle word of criticism. It's just so subtle, just so slight, and it, it felt intended for me. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I walk out of the room, and I think, I think that was for me. And it generally is not an enemy. It's a friend or somebody close. And so that's an indicator that maybe there's something here that I need to deal with and I need to work on. You remember Jesus taught, if you know that if anyone has ought against you, not you against them. Jesus said, if you know of anyone who has ought against you, you go to them. Personally, individually, not texting. Texting is the worst way to talk to somebody. So much gets lost in translation. I read texts and I, wow, that was snarky. Well, they're not even being snarky. That's how I read it. Because people text so bluntly. My son, Zach, he's just blunt with his texts. Go to them personally, individually. And do it sooner versus later because the longer we wait, the more the burn. Amen. If there's problems in your relationships with somebody and they're criticizing, that's an indicator that there's unhappiness there. Somebody may be mad, upset, not happy. Here's another, indica- well, here's another lesson we can learn, and that's that there's a resolve to strengthen. When you're criticized, one of the lessons we can learn is to know that we need to stand our ground in obedience no matter what people are saying. Because criticism can serve as confirmation that you are exactly where you need to be and you are doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And it's the enemy who wants to come in and he wants to, in some way or other, get you distracted by the naysayers and the people that are upset about the way things are not, you know, the way things aren't going or the way things are going. And so it can distract you and pull you down like Nehemiah. Nehemiah heard from God, go build the wall. I'll give you everything you have need of. Go there and do the job. And all the while he's there, people are trying to distract him, pull him down off the wall. And you know why that was happening? Because he was doing exactly what he should be doing. And it's a confirmation when people are saying things, people are coming against you. It's just a ploy of the enemy to try to get you to come down off of God's plan and purpose for your life. And it just confirms it's a gift of confirmation 
not only of redirection, but confirmation that I'm doing what God wants me to do. And so these are some of the ways how you handle criticism. Remember who you are. Consider the source. Who's talking to me? Who's saying these things? Are they a friend or are they a foe? And then also learn the lessons. There's something I can learn from what's going on. And then the final thing that I want to share with you guys is number four, respond, don't react. Respond, don't react. David did not react in kind. Abishai was saying, let me cut his head off. David said, no, he's not my big problem. He's not a big deal to me. Leave him alone, let him alone, let him do it. Because David was confident in who he was. And so he's like, God is obviously trying to show me something. God's wanting to teach me something. There's something I need to learn in this process. And so rather than reacting in kind, David responded. And this is what you do when people criticize and come against you. There is a there is a response, a God-given gracious response, rather than a kind of carnal reaction. When I was a kid, I had a neighborhood friend that lived across the alley that one day picked up a rock and threw it in my direction. So I picked up a rock and threw it in his direction. And then he stood in his yard and was throwing rocks at our house. And now I'm behind my garage yelling at him to stop throwing rocks And he wouldn't, so I went and got my mommy. And she came out there, and she said, stop throwing rocks. But what happened was, he picked up a rock, then I picked up a rock. He acted out, and I reacted. We don't want to do that. Come on, we don't want to do that. We want to respond, though. Proverbs 15 and 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. If you keep putting coals onto your lap, you're going to get burned, the Bible says. But if you let it go, you're going to be better off. Amen. So, how do I respond rather than react? I've got some thoughts. Maybe you want to write these ideas down. Number one, calm your emotions. Count to ten. Collect yourself. When you hear something, don't pick up your rock ready to throw it. Calm yourself. Abishai responded in anger like we sometimes do. We sometimes are like Abishai. We're ready to fight. We're ready to defend. We're ready to say something, but we have to calm ourselves. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, he said, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Put it away. Just put it away. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. To what extent do I forgive another person? Well, to what extent has Jesus forgiven you? Come on now. 
Where's your, why are you guys so quiet? How does he forgive you? That's how you forgive others. I'm talking to myself too. So calm your emotions. Don't let them burn with anger and rage and resentment and bitterness. And it, you know, just let it just, you know, calm. Collect yourself. Count to ten. Then, number two, to respond, talk with the right person. When you're hearing things and when people come at you, do you know everybody needs a lightning rod in their life to help them ground their emotions? So find somebody in your life who's a friend who will tell you the truth Right? Not tell you what you want to hear, but, but help you process the information that's coming your way. Get with a friend. Abishai was not that friend. He's like, I will cut off his head, David. No, you're not helping me right now. Because, oh, I, you know. No, you need to find somebody in your life that will keep you focused on the truth, help you process it, Get with the right person in your life and talk it through. Walk it through and talk it through. Proverbs 15, verses 31 and 32 says, The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. And he who disdains instruction despises his own soul. But he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. I need people to speak truth into me it helps me, even when the truths are coming in their lives, not to respond in kind, but to do it differently. And this is life to me. I get understanding. But if I disdain it and I just take matters into my own hands, here's what he says. You despise your own soul. Stop hating on yourself. Be nice to yourself. Amen. Amen. By obeying God's word. Then, here's another way to respond and not react. Admit when you've been wrong. I know you're not wrong most of the time. But every once in a while, you are. And you need to admit that. If you've been wrong, admit it. Take responsibility. If it comes right down to it, say, I'm sorry. I was over the line. You're right. Even if it's coming in a mean-spirited, critical way, own what part of it you're responsible for. Instead of just being outlandish and responding in defensive anger and retorting back, well, yeah, maybe I did that, but you did this. No, just stop. Shut up. Drop it. Come on. And just say, you know what? You're right. You're right. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. And can you leave it there? Probably not, but we should try. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. This is the Living Bible. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. How many of you want a second chance in life? You know where the second chance comes? Admit it. You know, if, 
you know what, I, I was out of line there, or I missed it, or I am so sorry that I just run roughshod over the whole situation. That, that's my bad. And own up to it. And then the final thing is we need to forgive and forget. Forgive and then forget about it. It's not that we won't ever have a memory of it, but that it won't ever be a driving force in our life again, a deciding factor. When someone criticizes us, we just have to forgive it. First Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 23 says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Watch. Who committed no sin, nor deceit was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And then Peter goes on in chapter 3, verse 9, and says, don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary. Oh, contraire. Peter says, bless. What do I do in this horrible situation with this person who said that? Bless them. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. You're blessed, so be a blessing, and you'll get more blessing. Instead of reviling and retorting and being back what you're experiencing. You heard uh, the phrase, paybacks are deadly. For the Christian, paybacks are blessing. That's our form of payback. That's what Peter said. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but pay him back with blessing. That's what he said. Now I bet somebody out there is thinking to themselves, maybe one person, what does this have to do with the price of gasoline? <laughs> and the war in the Ukraine? You're, you're talking to me about you know, how to handle criticism when there's so much pain and so much suffering in the world. Can I tell you something? Jesus said there will always be wars and rumors of wars. He said the poor you will always have with you. John said the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the earth. See, this is part of our problem, is that we get distracted by the news of the day and neglect the weightier issues of our own heart. We're so busy fuming over what's on media that we're forgetting about how to love my neighbor, how to deal with the crisis in my own home and in my own marriage or in my own family. What we're talking about, listen, don't wag your finger at Putin until you've deloused your own closet. He's committing war, by the way, on a country that is predominantly Christian, 75%. He's attacking a country of people. But who am I attacking? Amen. Let's stand up. I've gone way too long. You've been way too kind. Can I have the prayer people come on up and let's get ready to pray. If there are things
in your own closet relationally. Number one, drop the stone. Get, let it go. Get rid of it. Let God bring healing. And maybe you're here today and you need God to touch your heart in some way, relationally, in your life, in whatever way. We have folks up here that would love to pray with you about anything, about anything, but certainly about something we've talked about today. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence here today. You're so good. You're so gracious. Lord, I pray today that we would hear with big ears today, God, that we would receive your word and not let it like evaporate out of our understanding or just dissipate and become nothing. I pray, God, that this changes the way I relate, that this changes something about some dysfunction in my life right now. God, let it change, I pray, in our lives. And Father, I pray that as we leave this place, that we will go realizing that we're the light of the world. We're a city set on a hill. People need to encounter you, and people will encounter you to the degree that we shine you. And so I pray, Lord, that as we go out, that we will shine bright your love and your grace in our world that is hurting and broken. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody says amen. Amen. God bless you guys.